Hey, so good to be together with you guys. Um, I'm bringing you greetings from Wales. Um, Wales is a beautiful country with remarkable people. It takes a little longer to get out of it now. They've just reduced the speed limits to the lowest in the world. We had to set off last Tuesday just to get here on time. So it's an absolute, the new speed limits are an absolute game changer. For those popping down to see us in Swansea, we'd love to see you anytime. The suggestion is just leave your car at the border and walk the rest of the way, because you'll get to us a little quicker. Um, literally 20 miles per hour is the limit in our towns and villages in Wales. It's good, you know, I'm not knocking it, but I smiled the other day because um, the, the Welsh rugby team um, had a player at the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, called Reese Zamet Jones. He's been recorded as the fastest thing on two legs in the rugby world. Um, they clocked him as the fastest rugby player um, at the World Cup during the tournament. I think he ran at 24, we might even have a picture. Ryan, can we, there we go, 24.2 miles per hour. Whenever you see him running, there's always people behind him who can't keep up. And I kind of love the thought, this literally happened, that while he was there in the World Cup, they changed the speed limits back in Wales to slower than he could run. I love, I love the thought of him back home now, out on a training run, activating speed cameras all across Wales. That's a great thought, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, it's good to be here from Wales. And um, one of many, many amazing things about the church here is, I see it on, the, um, on your social media, is, is your baptisms. I just constantly, over the last two years, see you baptizing people in here. And I have to say, it's just amazing to witness just person after person after person whose life is being changed. And I see the pictures and sometimes the videos of, has anybody here who's been baptized in that very pool? Have you guys? Raise your hands up high. Because I think this is amazing. Give these guys a round of applause. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it blesses me so, so much to see that just Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And as we haven't baptized as many people as, as this. Um, but the other, just a few weeks ago, we were baptizing uh, a young lady called Sean. Um, and uh, she had um, just walked into our church one day. She'd never been to church and knew nothing about church. But what had happened was she, um, uh, it transpires, um, I'm not quite sure what these numbers mean, but she, she's um, uh, professionally, she's a Disney princess. That's what she does for a living. And, and they tell me she has half a million TikTok followers. I neither understand TikTok nor whether half a million is a lot of people. But that was her thing. But she, her heart broke in a situation. We didn't know her at all. She knew nothing of church. And one day she was just sitting in a home with a broken heart. She was preparing to put away all her outfits and her life and everything because life got too hard for her. And she was sitting alone, she lives uh, alone, she's sitting um, just breaking her heart and she remembered something. She remembered that before he died, her grandfather had written a letter to the family and um, nobody really had paid much attention to it, but it said, uh, I want you to know for the rest of your lives, if you're ever in trouble, 
if you ever don't know where to turn, if, if ever you've reached too low and you don't know what to do, remember that you can call out to God and he will be there for you. And she just remembered that her granddad wrote that letter and I don't think anybody else remembered, but she did and she just tried it. She just in a home just said, God, my granddad wrote a letter that said, if I need you, you'll come to me and my heart's breaking and I've lost my confidence. I can't step out of my door. God, if you're there, will you come to me? And uh, I remember her standing in the baptistry pool just telling us this story because what happened was she was just flooded suddenly with peace and wholeness and strength. And she just said, I don't know what happened to me, but everything was different in a moment. God just found me in my home and, and she didn't know what to do next. So she just Googled church Swansea and just had absolutely, I remember the first day she walked in. And she didn't know what to find, what to expect. And, and as she was in the, the water in a baptistry pool, this is what she said. She said, I, I walked in and I kind of instantly realized that I'd found friends. That, that I wasn't alone and people were lovely and, and I found friends and and then she said, um, I realize today it's even better than that because I found a family. I found a family. And uh, when she was saying those words, I, I was a stranger. And then I found friends. And now I've found a family. In my heart, I just felt like this. I, I remember inside of me saying, Jesus, would you just do that a thousand times over? Would you just do that a thousand times more? Would you just do what you've done for Sean a thousand more times? We have such a simple little vision statement in our church down in South Wales, and it just said a thousand transformed lives across Southwest Wales. That's what we get out of bed in the morning for. One day we'll look up, see 1,000 Shans, who was a stranger and became a friend and found a family. Just do it a thousand times. Then I'll die a happy man because there is nothing like that. It'll be like, imagine if you were an angel at the dawn of creation, you're watching God throwing galaxies into space I'd have been the angel saying God just do another one of those make another one of those make a thousand of those and I I thought of some words in the Bible that I love and uh, let's just have a look at them Ephesians chapter 2 oh there's another slide that's Reese Samet Jones activating a speed camera <laughs> this is the one I wanted Ephesians 2 just going to read verse 12, um, 12 to 13 and 17 to 19. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. 
without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Verse 17. He came. He came. He came to find us, guys. Jesus came to find you. And whether you were in your home or your school or walking in your park, wherever you were, he came to find you. You were a stranger once, but he came looking for you. Crossed from heaven to earth just to find you. Isn't that amazing? He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. What do these four people have in common? One answer is they all met Jesus. But I'd like a slightly more specific answer. Four people from the first four chapters of John. A young man called Nathaniel was brought by Philip to meet Jesus. Jesus had a word of knowledge for him and he became one of the 12 disciples. Then a woman sat down at a well in Samaria. Jesus talked to her. She led her whole village to Jesus. Then a royal official told Jesus his son was dying back home in bed. Jesus said, go home, you'll find your son is healed. And he was. And the Bible says the whole household became believers. And a paralyzed man was by a pool. And after 38 years of being unable to walk, Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. And then he went around telling everybody about Jesus. Nathaniel, the woman at the well, the royal official, the paralyzed man, four people, four chapters, John's gospel, what do they all have in common? Anybody hazard a guess? Go on. Through that one person coming to Jesus, many others came. Wow, that's amazing. Many, many others. Anything else? What else do they have in common? Yes. They did meet Jesus. Something specific about them meeting Jesus on that day in their lives. I'll tell you this. I think as you read those four chapters... They were all strangers to Jesus. It seems to be the first time that they met him. They were strangers who hadn't met him before. And then what we just heard happened. He led many other people to Jesus. Many other people. Because Jesus constantly made strangers into friends, into family. He did that. For me and he did it for you we've just read it in Ephesians you were far away and then you were brought near so now you're no longer a stranger you're a member of his household from stranger to friend to family is the Jesus way let's have a look at the next slide from strangers to friends to family is the Jesus way literally to Jesus as he walked the earth 
Each new day was a world full of strangers waiting to be his friends, waiting to be his family. That's what every day was. A world full of strangers waiting to be his friends, waiting to be... That's the little phrase we've built our church on in Swansea, from strangers to friends to family. As a group of leaders, we say it to each other all the time. What are we doing? We're just finding strangers, becoming their friends, so they can be family. And we built our church on that. In fact, there were three of us elders in the church down there, and we even allocated our responsibilities across that journey. So we said um, to Ollie, he's one of my young elders, your task is to find the people we don't know yet. To Simon, your task is to look after the large group of people around the boundary of church, the visitors and friends and associates and people using our building and, 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 and the people who, who are your friends, who are the church's friends, and bring them into the church family. And then my task was to just look after the church family, the ones who said this is our home. It was working well till Ollie rumbled. The fact that that leaves me looking after 300 people Simon looking after a similar number, and Ollie looking after 6.99 billion people on earth that we don't know yet. And he felt it wasn't a fair allocation of tasks. So now we all give him a hand. Because finding the people who are waiting to meet us is our reason to breathe on this earth. Finding the people who are waiting to meet us is what Jesus did every single day. He found strangers who were just about to become his friends. passion and a privilege. It's a passion and a privilege to find strangers, be their friend, and introduce them to the family of God. And I guess that's why we're living and breathing, guys. It's why we're living and breathing. Because there's a world full of people without God and without hope in the world. And all they need to do is find a friend who will introduce them to Jesus. It's just that simple. Maybe that's why we're still on the earth, living and breathing. Mark Twain said the two most important days in a man's life are the day he is born and the day he finds out why. Maybe somehow today we're just finding out why. We're living and breathing. Because there's a hurting world that needs a friend, that needs the family of God. And uh, Dave asked me if I just take a few minutes to share a few of the things we've learned about leading people from strangers to friends to family. And um, I'm going to keep it very simple because I'm a bear of very little brain. But I have learned some simple things that are helping us reach a thousand people for Jesus across Southwest Wales. And we got five little churches across a hundred miles and I have the privilege of traveling between them now. And, um, and everywhere I go, I just look for strangers who could be our friends, who could be children of the living God. And it's that simple. Um, I just wanna say, if I can for a second, that in the little task we're trying to do for Jesus down there, I, I owe just about everything 
that I know to here, to this church, to these people. There are people here who babysat for me when I was a tiny child and, and taught me and bore with me and was patient with me and watched me make all my mistakes. And I grew into adulthood surrounded by Maureen and Maggie and Jeff and Pam and David and Gwen and of course my mum and dad and I owe them everything because they taught me everything. Um, they were patient with me when I didn't deserve it. I carry you guys literally in here while I try to make a church that Jesus is proud of. About a million times I've just silently asked myself the question, what would Jeff do? It's true. About a million times, I silently ask myself the question, what would Jeff do? Then I do something else. <laughs> Just joking. I don't. <laughs> Jeff, from 200 miles away, you've guided me for almost 30 years. And I only do this in my life because you did what you did in your life. It's the truth. And uh, you even gave me my wife. Here I met Liz in this church and we married. I'm so grateful to God for that. I think Liz is as well, just checking. <laughs> the other day I was encouraging Liz. I said, it's important to embrace our mistakes. She gave me a hug. <laughs> I was momentarily encouraged that I realized what was going on, Jeff. <laughs> okay, from strangers to friends to family. Let's have a crack at this. Number one. First, I'm just going to give you four simple things that I've learned about fulfilling the reason why you're living and breathing, which is to find strangers, make them friends, and lead them to Jesus. So number one, make somewhere beautiful. Will you in your life just make somewhere beautiful? Make somewhere beautiful. In Acts chapter 3, there's a gate that they called beautiful. They called this gate beautiful in the temple in Jerusalem, but nothing really beautiful was happening there. It was just, there was a man and his feet and ankles were gone. Couldn't even stand and walk. And he wasn't, he was just sitting there every day at a gate called beautiful, but nothing really beautiful was happening. Just religious people were streaming past him every day because they had to get to the meeting while he couldn't walk. On this particular day, it was even more ironic because it was the hour of prayer, but no one was praying anything. They just walking straight past him. At the hour of prayer, no one was praying. At a gate called Beautiful, nothing beautiful was happening. Just a man with his feet and ankles gone, unable even to get up, walk into the temple, and religious people streamed past him. Two followers of Jesus, Peter and John, they stop. They look at him. He's begging for help like he does every day at a gate called Beautiful. Peter says, we don't have any money. But in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the Bible says his feet and ankles became strong. And he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. And finally something beautiful happens at the gate called Beautiful. Early one Sunday morning some years back, I was just reading that story. It was early Sunday morning, I was just reading that story from the beginning of Acts. And God spoke to me so clearly in my heart. He just said, I'm going to do that miracle tonight. And that night, we were traveling over to Pembrokeshire, which is about an hour and a quarter away. We were just a little church renting a, a little hall at the time. And 
Now, we'd moved into our building just before. And we were going to Pembrokeshire uh, to do a meeting that evening. And God said to me very, just so clearly, I'm going to do that miracle tonight in the meeting in Pembrokeshire. So I drove to Pembrokeshire and I just got there in time because of a bit of a trek and we had a meeting and, and I walked in and there was a crowd of people and we, we were in, a, in, a, in, a, in the town centre in Haverford West in Pembrokeshire. A lot of people I didn't know and there was a pause in the meeting at one point and, 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 and God's saying, would you trust me, Mike? I told you I'd do that thing. So I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> but this is a little bit scary. So I remember signing up. For some reason, I think, you were, were you visiting Pembrokeshire? I'm not sure if you were, if you were on holiday or something. I don't know why I have a recollection that you guys were down, I don't know. But, um, so I said, um, uh, God told me there's a miracle he did that somebody's feet and ankles got strong and he's going to do it tonight. Has that... Uh, Relevant to anybody? This lady put her hand up at the back. I've never met her before. And um, I said, hi. Hi, I said, my name's my, what's your name? She said, Margaret. I said, Margaret, you got a trouble with your feet and ankles? She said, yeah. I said, would you like Jesus to heal you? She said, yes, please. So I walked down the aisle to the row where she was. And as I walked, I noticed her legs were all in calipers and she had crutches. I thought, oh my goodness, this is serious now momentarily wonders, is it too late to reverse? <laughs> Answer, yes, much too late to reverse. I said, Margaret, would you, would you like Jesus to heal you? She said, yes, I would. So I said, um, I called somebody over, called the lady over. I said, would you just lay hands on Margaret and I will pray. And she laid her hands on, on Margaret's legs and I just started to pray. I just said, Jesus, you are the same. Yesterday, today and forever. You told me you'd do something tonight. I'm asking you to hear. I didn't finish my sentence. And Margaret said, something's happening. So I was a bit startled. She said, something's happening. I said, um, I said um, what's happening? She said, it's like heat up and down my legs. And then I said, well, that's good. I'll carry on praying. So carry on praying. But she is taking off her calipers, taking it all off. She said, this is amazing, she said. And she jumped to her feet and she started walking. Around, she said, I can't do this. And I said, everybody's going, whoa, praise the Lord. And it, she, she'd come with her son, her grown-up son. And at the end of the meeting, she, she literally walked out of the hall. And her son had calipers and crutches under his arms. And um, it was amazing. And uh, uh, the, the um, next Sunday, uh, we went back for another meeting. And I said, anybody got any testimonies? And this voice from the back said, I'm still healed. It's Margaret. I said, Margaret, how are you doing? She said, she said I, I live in a little house and, and next to my house there's a beautiful canal walk. But I never knew it was beautiful because everybody told me there was an amazing walk. But I've never, ever been able to do it. In all the time I moved into the house. And she said, this week I've walked the beautiful walk. I've walked down the beautiful walk. I've walked the path. She said, for the first time, I'm walking in beautiful places because I can walk now and I'm still healed. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. And then a guy called Tom here who, who just come in the first time. I just met him on the way. He said, would God do that for me? I thought, oh my goodness, this is getting really scary now. He's a young man. I said, what's the matter, Tom? He said, I had a industrial accident. I was in the army and I was an engineer and I fell and I broke my wrist. 
And I've never been able to do anything with it ever since. It never properly healed. And it's painful all the time. He said, would God heal me? Uh, I said, he will, Tom. <laughs> he will, Tom. I said, come out here. So we laid hands on Tom. He had hands upon him. And we prayed. And then I stepped back. I said, how does it feel? He said, he said, he wasn't a Christian. He said, I don't understand. He'd just been brought by a friend. He said, I don't understand. But he said, this is meant to be hurting me. But it's not hurting me anymore. And I said, oh, I said, that's amazing. And suddenly he dropped to the floor. I was a bit startled momentarily. And he dropped to the floor and started doing press-ups. I said, Tom, get up, man. You don't have to do that. He says, no, you don't understand. He said, I was in the army. I was super fit. Every day I do 50 press-ups at the start of every day. I haven't done a press-up since the day I had my accident because I haven't been able to do it. And he's talking to me while he said, I can do press-ups again. It was just praising the Lord. Because that place became beautiful in that moment for Tom. Since then, he's moved from Pembrokeshire to Swansea. He actually literally messaged me yesterday. Margaret, still my friend. I went to a funeral recently and there was standing room. There was um, standing room only because it was packed out. And I looked across. I was standing over there and Margaret was standing for the whole funeral. And I walked across. I said, you're looking well. She said, I'm still standing. Still standing. Yesterday, Tom was in touch, just updating me with how it's going. He's got married, and, and uh, I said, how are you doing? I said, is your wrist good? He said, my wrist is perfect. Because Jesus makes places beautiful. He makes places beautiful. And in your life, you'll pass places. They're like streets with no names waiting for God to do something there. Places waiting for Jesus to make them beautiful. Everywhere you go, it's just waiting for Jesus to do something beautiful. Can I just encourage you this week to walk into the earth like Jesus did and look for strangers who will become your friends because he's going to do something beautiful. Second thing that I've learned in my journey down in South Wales is look through the smoke. Look through the smoke. There's a housing estate just on the hillside above what is now our Life Point Centre, our church home, and it was built after the war to replace the slums in the city centre um, and also for returning war veterans to live in. And many of the poorest of the poor people in the area moved into that estate. It's called Mayhill. It's one of, I think, the three most deprived um, localities in, in Wales, financially speaking. It's notorious for riots on the streets of Mayhill, which have driven the police off the estate on a couple of notorious moments. And um, once we had a prophecy, and it was God speaking, and God said, I'm going to make Mayhill my hill. And, uh, and we just started to try to go up there to, to the estate of Mayhill, where there is so much desperate need to try and to go where generally churches don't go to try to make a difference for Jesus. And um, we wanted to rent a renter community centre 
And, and somebody said to me, you will need to go and speak to a lady called Anne who lived and gave me an address. So I remember knocking on the door and the door opened and um, uh, Anne was a very unusual lady to meet. She is a total stranger to me. Um, she's little and she has, she's, she's, she's in her mid-80s when I met her. It's white straight hair all the way down her, her back. And um, she was in a dressing gown and her slippers. And um, I mean this affectionately because she became my dearest friend. But she has a thousand kind of um, wrinkles in, in her face. And, and, she, and she was smoking. I said, hey, uh, is your name Anne? She said, it is. I said, I, I'm Mike. I wondered if I could rent the community center. And she said, come in and meet my family. Because she, she always had in her home, there was always a son or a daughter or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. And she said, sit down. And um, we sat at the kitchen table and, and, and on the table were word searches. But she had very thick glasses, almost blind, but with a magnifying glass. And she could do word searches. And, and she's smoking the whole time. And she said, tell me who you are. I said, I'm just Mike. I just passed of a local church. Just wondered if we could do. Oh, she said. And she started to tell me about the streets of May Hill where she had grown up all of through all of her adult life, she'd been here. She'd been a youth worker here. And she started talking about the young people. And nobody cares for the young people anymore. And I used to run a boys club. But now the children, so many of them have grown up and they've gone to prison. And, and there's just drugs everywhere. And the streets aren't safe anymore. And I love the children here. But nobody's looking after them. And Anne started to cry for the children of May Hill. And I felt really convicted. I thought... She's like the very beating heart of God. Inside this little wrinkled body, it's like she's loved the children here forever. And, and I, I said, you obviously love the children. And she very much, she said, I do. And she started to talk about her children and her children's children. And, and, and it got so confusing. There was just so many members of the family. And, and um, I said, uh, and I said, um, could I come back next week and speak some more? And, and she said, yeah. And so I went back the next week and, and we did word searches together. And through the whole conversation, every conversation I ever had with her, she smoked like this straight into my face the whole time. The end of every visit, literally at the end of every visit, we, I'd sit with her. We'd do word searches. She'd tell me about her family and stories about Mayhill. And then I would go home and put my clothes in the washing machine every single time like that. Because I went out just covered it. And... Um, one day, um, she started to cry, but different tears. I said, you upset, Anne? I'd made her, um, I got somebody more artistic than me to make a big family tree. And I'd brought it for her. And it had her name and all her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And, 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 and I said, now I understand your family. It's a big family. But she started to cry. She said, my husband died of cancer very painfully and I've always felt somehow I must have done something wrong um, somehow maybe was God punishing me I don't know but she said I've never forgotten it and she said I've done my best in life but I made a lot of mistakes and I said Anne would you like God to forgive you oh yes she said I've got thousands of things I need forgiving for I said um, should we talk to God together would you like to give your life to God be a follower of Jesus and she said, I would love that. So I said, why don't we pray? And we prayed and through her tears and the cigarette smoke, she gave a life to Jesus. And I remember the word search pages were wet with her tears. And, and um, 
I kept on going to see her and uh, one day she said, I've got something for you. And she walked very slowly. She took me into the back room where I'd never been. And uh, she said, she reached into a drawer to the big bunch of keys. They were the keys to the community center in Mayhill. She said, we would like you to have these. I said, what do you mean? She said, we'd like you to have them because you're the only people looking after the people on our estate and our community. And together we open up for people to rent the community center, but we want you to have your own keys because you are the only people caring for us. And I said, really, Anne? Yes. She said, no one else has a set of keys, but you do now. And a lockdown came and they shut that community center. And the local councillor who'd been the Lord Mayor rang me and said, could you meet me at the community center? I said, yeah. He said, I uh, just want to say we're shutting this now. No one can meet in here except you. We'd like you to keep on meeting. We'd like you to have this place, if you would, through lockdown and keep feeding the people of the community. Just feed them. If you can keep, because we're feeding hundreds and hundreds of families. If, 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 if you go down, we all go down. So the community center is yours for the whole of lockdown. Just look after our streets, please. And... Um, I realized that that dear little lady with the long white hair who smoked into my face hundreds and hundreds of times and I'd done all those words, I realized she had literally given me the keys to the hillside. Literally. Given me the keys to the hillside. And she died. And we as elders all stood outside her home as her coffin was brought out. And I wept for a dear lady who was a stranger became my friend became the family of God that day in my heart I said Anne I'll see you again one day I'll see you again one day and we will praise Jesus eternally because you were a stranger who became a friend who became our family and I guess it's just good Sometimes to look through the smoke, look past the strangeness, look past whatever might have made you run from a place and just keep on being Jesus. Just keep on being Jesus. That councillor who was the Lord Mayor, he rang me last week. He said, Mike, we want to give you £4,000 for all your Christmas hampers. This Christmas time, we want, you've done it yourself for years, but now we want to look after it. Here's 4,000 pounds because no one else is feeding our hillside. And it's an amazing thing because God takes strangers, makes them your friends, and then brings them into the family of God. So that's the second thing. Third thing just to say is, goodness me, that's the time it's gone. Trust in God's presence. And then I'll finish. Trust in God's presence. I met a guy who was a stranger in the back row of our church. I kept, he's quite famous, uh, so I'm going to change his name. He said, hi, I didn't know who I was meeting. He said, I'm Matt. He didn't say that, I just changed his name, but he said, I'm Matt. Um, and um, I said, hi, uh, I, nice to have you. And I got on with the meeting. Um, a little bit later, somebody said, do you know who that is? He runs a, a huge company of theatre schools 
uh, all the way down the M4 corridor to London and is um, uh, an agent to stars, TV stars and um, uh, uh, movie stars. He, he trains child actors and he gets them into Game of Thrones and The Crown and is, is, he's an agent to all the EastEnders stars. And I didn't know this, he's just a guy in, in the back seat who said hello. Um, and uh, I, somebody said, you know, he's quite famous. He got a personal invitation to the royal coronate, to the coronation, King Charles's coronation. Um, he gets flown to um, Australia, first class to the launch of, um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of the jungle. He's quite a well-known guy. Um, and he sat at the back of church and, and then he came again, and then he came again. And one day I said, hey, it's good to see you keep coming. Are you enjoying it? He said, I never experienced anything like it in my life. I said, what are you enjoying? He said, I don't know really, he said. He said, I, I, grew, I grew up in theater and television and movies. But he said, there's something here. He said, it's like God is here. And um, anyway, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And, um, and he, he, he was in our life group a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I'd, I'd become a Christian. And um, at one point, we all stood to sing at the end of the meeting. And you were all singing. And he said, I'm getting to know the songs a bit. And he said, I was trying to sing. And suddenly I heard sounds that I didn't know. And realized they were coming from my mouth. And he said, it was a bit strange. He said, I tried to slow it down in my head. And it sounded like a language. And he said, I was singing in a language I don't know. In church. And he said, I realize now I've been listening to you guys. And you call that something, don't you? You call that speaking in tongues? I said, yeah, that's speaking in tongues. And, um, uh, and he has a, a friend who is a Christian, who's a radio presenter, and he rang me. He said, he said I actually can't believe what I've just heard. He said, if you knew about my friend, Matt, he is the least likely person ever to walk into a church. He said, I, I can't even tell you how shocked his bit of the entertainment world is. In fact, he said he's lost friends for saying he's a Christian. Um, and uh, so I went to the person who'd invited him to say, well done. Her name is Samira. I said, Samira, you've done so well bringing Matt, we'll call him, to God's house because he loves Jesus now. And it's, it's shocking, you know. This guy... Anyway, um, and Samira said, um, I'm a baby Christian and I didn't know what to say to him. So I just thought I'll bring him to God's presence and see if that does the trick. <laughs> How inspired is that? I just thought I'll bring him to God's presence and see if that does anything. That's utterly inspired. Because this morning here is beautiful. I, as you were worshipping, I was thinking, I defy anybody to be in this place and not feel God is here. And if we want to turn strangers to friends to family, maybe one thing we could do is just trust in God's presence because he does it all so much better than us. So much better than us. So I want to salute you the bringers and the inviters. If you're a bringer and inviter, just get people to God's presence and let him do the rest because he's better than us at turning strangers into friends 
into family. Finally, as we finish, finally, number four, look after your first thought. Kerry Jones asked me a question once. He said, who lives in the deepest part of you? I thought, I think I know the answer to this. I said, Jesus does. He said, right answer. He says, because of that, Michael, always calls me Michael. Even my mother doesn't call me Michael anymore. Um, Kerry said, Michael, learn to trust your first thought. I said, Kerry, what does that mean? He said, from your innermost being flows rivers of living water. Jesus lives in the deepest part of you. You can trust your first thought. So I thought, that's amazing, actually, that instinctively the whisper of the Holy Spirit, I can learn to trust him. I'm slowly, it takes me so long to learn things, but I'm slowly learning that we dismiss the whisper of the Holy Spirit because it comes quietly and it like the, when you're mowing the lawn and God says cross the road to talk to your neighbour. How easily we dismiss the first thought. But you can trust the Holy Spirit's instinct. And it was the second Sunday in January, just approaching. And I, I needed to prepare to preach in the church back home. And I said to God, what tr- great truth can I teach to the people of God? And an immediate thought dropped into my heart, an immediate thought. And it seemed a bit of nonsense, so I dismissed it. I'm ashamed to say. I just felt like I was waiting for some theological truth and I felt God said, get a basket. Put some really nice gifts in it because somebody's going to be in church and it was their birthday somewhere around Christmas and everybody forgot. So make them a birthday present. So I'm thinking... God, I think you misunderstood the question. I'm trying to be a serious preacher here. And, but, so I kind of dismissed the thought. And then I was in Hobbycraft because we had to get something for the kids. I was walking along and, I, and clear as a bell in my spirit, there was a basket. I felt God said, that's the basket, buy it. And I'd forgotten the thought I dismissed. And there was some baskets for sale, so I just bought a basket. I thought, this, is, this seems a little bit strange, but I bought an empty basket. Next door to Hobbycraft was Marks and Spencer's. So I went to Marks and Spencer's, just bought as many nice things as I could. And I, and I thought, okay, God, I'm going to take a risk on this. So I stood up in church on the second Sunday in January and I said, hi. Um, I said, can I ask a question? Is there anybody here, and it, and it was your birthday over Christmas time? Straight away, her hands just about there went up. I'd never met the person. In fact, she'd never been in church ever before. I said, hi. I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Sophie. I said, is your birthday roughly around Christmas time? She said, yeah, Boxing Day. I said, how, how was it your birthday? She said, nobody even noticed. She said, hardly anybody notices my birthday. I never have a party. And we're talking like this, the church is here, you know. Okay. Oh, that's really sad. I said, can I tell you something? God noticed because he told me about you. I said, I brought something in and I gave her a gift. And we all sung happy birthday to her on the 8th of January, a couple of weeks after her birthday. And, um, uh, and that was that. And I just got on with preaching, you know. Didn't even, didn't even know who she was. And then the next morning, let me find it, there was an email sent to the church email. This message. I had fallen away from faith years ago and found myself wondering if God even knew about me. On Sunday, 8th of January, I decided I would try to find a church to go to 
It was your church I found. I felt faith inside me come alive. I cried. I felt guilty for neglecting my faith for so long. But I also felt hope again. It was like I was meant to be there in LifePoint Church yesterday. I realized that God knew all about me and was waiting for me. So thank you, thank you for helping me find the light in my life again. 2022, because this was the beginning of 2022, is the year God has brought me back to my faith. I know my life is back on the path I am meant to be on. Thank you from Sophie. Thank you from Sophie. And I realized that, that God whispers And if we can learn to look after the first thought, the the instinct of the Holy Spirit, he's about to make a stranger into a friend, into family. By the time Sophie left the city, she she was baptised in the Holy Spirit. She, She was running after God. She graduated. She moved away. And I thought, I didn't even know her till the 8th of January 2022. Now she's family. She's a child of God. And um, last week there was a, a wonderful young a graduated student in church. For, and I said, wow, I said, it's so good to see you. How did you find us? She just come. She said, ah, she said, I used to live with someone called Sophie. And she came back from church one day. And she had a basket of gifts. And she said that she'd gone to church. And God knew that nobody had noticed her birthday on Boxing Day. And her whole life changed. So I graduated, went away, and I got a job. I could live anywhere in Wales. She head of Bernardo's, uh, department, Bernard, Bernardo's operation in Wales. They said, you can live anywhere. She said, I chose Swansea so I can be in this church. Because I know God is here. I'd like this to be my home. It's like what you said. When Jesus makes a stranger into a friend, they go tell everyone, don't they? Go tell everyone. Look after your first thought. And Jesus will make places beautiful. Do things we can only dream of. Could we stand together? I wonder if Dave and the team could just lead us in worship. I just want to pray. I know we should finish right now. But if we could take two minutes just to praise the Lord. I just would like, if you would allow me just to pray. Because God whispered something to me about this this morning and just said this, that he wants to leave faith behind in our hearts so that we start to find Margaret and Tom and Anne and Matt and Sophie and all the strangers we don't know yet Because they are everywhere with breaking hearts. They are everywhere with breaking hearts. There are people like Sean the Disney princess, the TikTok lady. Nobody knows she's breaking her heart. Nobody knows she's breaking her heart. But God does. And he wants to give us faith that we are going to find them. Because the world is just a planet full of strangers waiting to find a friend called Jesus. Can I pray for you? Is that okay? And then we'll worship. Father, Uh 
in this town I love, in this county I love, in this church I love. I ask you now to ignite faith that every one of us will know we're living and breathing on the planet for something. We will step out of our doors to find the strangers that need Jesus. I ask you that within every soul faith will arise that will dare to believe that we can be the bringers and the inviters. We can be the prayers. We can be the friends. We can be the ones who cross the road to knock on a door and take a miracle. Thank you for the privilege of introducing you to the world you made. Amen.